Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 265 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bonds you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd also like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted, pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And as always, we want to mention that the second edition of our book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, is available on Amazon. Everyone agrees that collaboration is essential in today's world, but now, more than ever, knowing the right tools will make all the difference. As I'd like to say at the start of all of our recent uh, podcasts, what a difference another week or two makes. And the unexpected just keeps happening. In our last episode, we took a step back and reflected on what we've learned in 2020 and whether it will really help us be ready for the rest of 2020 or even the next week or so. I really don't know at this point. In this episode, we wanted to start what will ultimately be a whole series of episodes we're going to do about our second brain project so you can share in what we are thinking and doing. It's uh, I've pleasant surprised by uh, the number of people who said something to me about how interested they are in the Second Brain Project. So, well, we decided to really dig into it. So, Tom, what's uh, all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be giving an update on our Second Brain Project, this time with a focus on that first step, capture. In our second segment, we'll examine the contention we're hearing that older lawyers are much better at cybersecurity than younger lawyers. Remember, you can leave us your question for our second segment on our voicemail at 720-441-6820. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, an update on our Second Brain Project. If you remember, in episode 263, just two episodes ago, we started to discuss the notion of building a second brain, and we promised that we would give you a peek behind the curtains of how we were going about doing that. Following the podcast, uh, Dennis came up with an outline of his approach to building a Second Brain Project. Dennis seems to think our approaches are different. I'm not sure that they're very different, but even if they are, um, I think part of the argument that we're going to make is that that's okay. So before we start on what we agree is that first step to building a second brain capture, I want to restate what I think our project is, and then Dennis, you can follow along with that. So my concept of a second brain is that it is a personal knowledge base, a digital repository of all the things you want to remember that your first brain, the main brain, cannot hold. Um, a second brain 
helps you to offload your ideas where they can be useful to you at a future time, where you can be creative, where you can capture all the things that you consume on a daily basis that you can never remember past the first reading and you want to go back to and find. I think a second brain is a very personal thing. My second brain might be constructed very differently from yours and vice versa. And I think that's okay. I might choose different ways of getting information into my second brain than you do, and that's also okay. My second brain is how I define it, and yours is how you define it. I view this project that we are discussing as you and I jointly building our own personal second brains, sharing our requirements, sharing our learning, but ultimately, I think what each of us gets out of this project will necessarily be different. Where I think our approaches appear to differ at the beginning is that I'm looking maybe at different second brain tools than you are or were, and I don't think I don't think that matters. I think that how we collaborate on this project lies in between however we each choose to construct our own second brain, which is going to, I think, have its own set of interesting challenges, but shouldn't limit how we each approach this project from our personal standpoint. All right, I said a lot. I vomited up a lot of stuff. Dennis, how does my description differ from yours? So, well, I, I think it's solid. I think we're, yeah, as you say, we're kind of on the same page, and there's going to be some some difference in details that we'll go into. But I think that it, it for that is that notion that it's it's going to be that place that we keep things. I think personal knowledge management is is a key concept in in this, and it's going to say how how can we store things that are in the nature of notes, but they can take all sorts of various forms. Uh, it could be resources, uh, increasingly, uh, you know, audio, video, other forms of data that we can can reuse. And and I think that how we want to use it in the future will have an impact on, on what we're doing. But I think there's going to be commonality. And there's definitely commonality in the first part because that's the one, one thing that I think drew us to this project and and that's the notion of of capture so you can call it gather you could call it collect we've we've chosen capture but the idea is that hey there's all this stuff that we do and and you can look around yourself even as you listen to this and say you know there's stuff that i do on my phone stuff i might do on a tablet stuff i do on a computer there's still stuff i write uh there's stuff that just might be gathered about me automatically stuff that i record stuff that i watch and how can i gather that stuff so it becomes useful and so there's a couple of steps to that, I think. But you as, as well, Thomas, it's like you start to think about this, you, and there's like, what do I identify? Where would I put it? What do I do with it? And that uh, I think the interesting thing for us as we started to look into this project, we fell right into the trap that we always warn people about. And we went, uh, we know better than this time, but we went right for the tools first, didn't we? Um, I'm going to disagree with you. You may have fallen into a tools-first trap, but I really think that there needs to be, I think that the question we need to be asking first about capture is not about what tool or even what to capture, but why are we capturing anything in the first place? I think the why needs to happen. What is the purpose for the capture that we want to have. How are we defining our personal knowledge base? Been reading a lot on this lately. 
One way of thinking about this is a quote from Richard Feynman, who is the physicist. Um, He said, you have to keep a dozen of your favorite problems constantly present in your mind. And when you have that an idea of the problems that you want to solve, what to capture becomes a lot more straightforward. You capture to find answer to those answers to those problems. So the problem could be as simple as I want to get better at explaining a particular regulation to my clients, or I want to get better at marketing my practice, or as we're talking about here, I want to manage my knowledge better. Um, one way that I like to think about it is how future me would think reading this information years from now. Would it be helpful? Or would I just say, why in the world did I keep this around? Of course, there are going to be other things that are going to be valuable for some reason. So I might want to keep, obviously, my tax documents. I want to keep a copy of a receipt that I got here so I know where to go back. Uh, You know, you have to get good at deciding what to keep and what not to keep. And I think that capturing... Anything and everything without regard to whether or not it might be important to you in the future or will help you solve some problem is going to result in a second brain that is overwhelmingly filled with useless information. I think part of this is because I've been doing information governance for the last 10 years. I'm a big believer in keeping the right amount of information, and I think the same applies here. So so I will say first, that's where I'm approaching it is the why, and then that gets us to the what after we start talking about that. So I'm sorry for taking a short detour, but that's where my head has been in thinking about what I want to capture. I need to think about the why first. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think that's where I ended up. But we, it's, uh, and I'll, I will say by we, I might be meaning me, but I definitely made that head paint toward tools right away. I say, uh, but can I just put it into one note? Can I, can I just stay in the Microsoft 365 world? Is there something out there like a Notion or a, you know, one of these, these new notes tools like Rome or Obsidian that it makes sense for me to, to jump right into? And that's going to be good enough. And other people, as they look at it, might say, well, you know, I've been doing this. I've been doing the same sort of thing for a long time. And I have these folders and I have nested folders and are you, you know, I might have a system of tags or, or something like that. And I think that, that that becomes hard to maintain. Typically it becomes personal. And then as we look, uh, the one thing I've noticed is on your phones and your tablets that, that, that whole concept of folders is is starting to disappear a little bit. So, you know, you do kind of. I think you preliminarily want to look at those things, but you are looking at the at the why. And I'm probably going to err on the side of bringing more in than less in because I want to just be able to say, hmm, could be interesting. Boom, get it in there and uh, be able to find it later rather than to take a deeper look at the beginning and get more stuff in to start. So you're just going to have to realize your personality on that. But that kind of goes into the why and say, okay, what is it that I'm doing? And then pull back, or you might say, what is what problem do you want to solve? But And then pull back and say, can we put the tools part of this back a little bit and not not say, oh, this is just going to be nested folders. It's just going to be, you know, OneNote or whatever you might have started with. Well, Tom, I, I, I went to identify first and, and, uh, and grab some, some categories. Um, is that probably a good place to start? 
Well, I think it is, but I think our categories, like you said, are going to be a little bit different um, because, I, but but it it's it's going to be part of, you know, you say you're going to err on the side of keeping more than less. Um, I, you know, I've looked at some of your categories, for example, on your list, I'm not going to call any, I'm going to call one or two things out in particular, but one of the things on your list is that you want to cap, potentially want to capture are your likes on social media. And I'm thinking, you know, the other day I liked a random comment that somebody made that said, oh yeah, I'll never do that again. Why would I want to capture that comment? It's totally out of context. I won't pay attention to it. I have no idea what it means. So I think that our categories are necessarily going to differ because it's going to depend on what we want to capture and what's going to happen. And I will tell you, I think that where I can see your and my differences starting to arise, for example, is um, just for the audience's benefit, we are reorganizing here at Kennedy Mile Report Central, we're reorganizing some of the channels we use in Microsoft Teams. Um, and I asked Dennis um, if he was okay with me deleting our chat in those channels. And I could feel the tension humming across the airwaves where Dennis asked if we could cut and paste the chat into a Word document and save it somewhere. And in my opinion, there is nothing in that chat that I need to keep. Our chat is casual discussion. It's us just chatting and joking and making light with each other. And it's not likely to be important to me in the future. And I think that means the difference is you're just not sure if that's going to have value to you in the future. You want to keep it anyway. And I'm pretty sure that it's not. And so... My opinion on capture is that that way of thinking leads to keeping so much information that you don't know what to do with it, how to find anything, how to actually use it. That's going to come up in a new in a, in a in a future episode when we talk about find or organize or whatever that winds up being. We're not going to talk about that today, but I'm skeptical about the ability to manage a second brain that's keeping all of those categories that you have. But that's you know again it's a you do you and uh, and and I do me so yeah the the funny thing is that right before we started recording tonight you were looking up something that I said in a chat so uh, well but see that was just to remind you that you had said something in the past and 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 while it was good for the satisfaction of uh, of getting you back on that it was it's I just you're right there is the outlier that that would be useful to me. Yeah, so I, I think one of the things is as I look into what I want, I say, well, you know, clearly I'm a writer, so I want I want to have stuff that uh, I can use when I write in the future. You know, so anything that looks interesting to me now, it'd be great to have that stuff. I also do presentations. I also teach. I do, you know, it, there's a bunch of other things. So I'm going to create. So what I want to have is this stuff that I capture when I say, oh, I want to write about some topic that I can put my hands on on that stuff without, you know, getting frustrated going out into Google and, and seeing how everybody has SEO'd the thing. And I'm, you know, diving through all these, uh, you know, essentially click farms, just trying to find information. So I, I'd rather just grab the stuff that I've that I've found that's valuable. So that, that again, is kind of going with the why in mind. On my social media likes, I use that as a way of, of, of bookmarking stuff that's interesting to me. Uh, so that gets factored in account. Other people would not use things that way. I really have this uh, blank spot where I like to be able to 
keep references to podcasts or even parts of podcasts um, to refer to in the future and, and haven't really found a great tool, uh, if any tool, to do that. So that's when I started to look at the the categories. That's how I did it. And I knew that Tom and I would be somewhat different. And uh, But my learning from this, from what I did, other than that probably I'm looking to, to capture too much, um, is that I think there really is a need to kind of just do this you know, informal audit checklist of what it is that you're already doing, what information that you'd like to capture that you feel you're missing for now, and then what you might want to be capturing in the, in the future. And then take a little extra time and put that work in at the start is uh, the lesson that I, I have. And I think more than time, I just worry about certain things that I know I'm currently missing that I would like to have and not need to go out and find them again. Well, I think that, that the audit that you describe is useful, but I only think that it's useful if you do that in conjunction with the why. When you look at each thing in the list, ask yourself, why do I need to capture all of that? I'm hoping that the answer to those questions is, you never know if I might need it. I hope that's not the answer to most of those things. And then I think that, you know, frankly, Dennis, I think we're headed to, you know, a second episode on capture because we really haven't talked much about the how. We haven't really talked about the tools to capture the information. And I think that as much as we don't want to jump into tools first, we're probably going to have to jump into it at some point. I don't want to do it in this podcast, but I think it's it, we're going to have to do it. And here's here's the challenge is you 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 brought a, a one example up exactly, which is podcasts. I don't want to keep a recording of every podcast that I listen to that that I found something useful in. I think that's a waste of space. I don't even want to keep an entire recording of a podcast that has something in it that might solve one of my 12 problems. I I just want to capture the content from the podcast that will help me. I was listening to a a podcast about podcasting and it had some great statistics in it and it had some great commentary in it and I just want that part. I don't want anything else that's in it. And being able to get to that is a challenge. The tools that are out there right now are not sufficient to do that. Let's talk about that in a follow-up episode. But it's the same thing with articles or books. I don't want to have to go through a book or an article to find stuff of value. I want to be able to highlight the information that's important to me, and I want that information to be taken out and synthesized and summarized and put into my words with my own additions in a place that makes sense to me rather than me having to go back to that book. And so that's really what the how is going to be like, which is why Capturing that book is not important to me. Capturing the parts of the book that are important to me is what's important to me. Sorry, I keep repeating my words here. But I think that when we get to the next part, which is the how do we actually do that, I think we start to get a little bit more clarity. And, well, it's more clarity, but to me, more confusion because... Capturing all these things is not just a one-tool-solves-everything project. And so we're going to have a lot to talk about, I think, in, in future episodes. Right. And I think we, you know, you're going to have to look at what your actual approach is because there are going to be some. So I, I say I, it needs to be super easy. Whatever I do to capture things, it needs to be super easy to pull stuff in and then eventually to pull that out, you know, to, to use it later. 
there were other people who were going to hear what we're saying, Tom, and they're going, you guys are nuts. Like, I, I, you know, you're worried about like capturing video or podcasts or whatever. You just take notes and all you're doing is capturing your notes. And uh, the fact is you just write notes and you you put them into, into folders that you label and it's totally easy. And you go like, yeah, that's not me. That is not me. So I know that won't work. But if you can do that, that's going to, that's going to simplify things because if you're, you know, busily taking notes while you're listening to things and stuff like that, which, you know, more power to you if you can, but a lot of us, you know, a lot of people listen to, or used to when you went out, listen to podcasts in cars. So you're not taking handwritten notes and, and other things like that. So that how you get your information um, and the form that you do it is going to have a big impact on what you design and then ultimately the tools. Because if, you know, 90% of what you're doing is pulling in notes that you're taking, and that's just part of your discipline and practice, it's a different tool than me saying like, oh, here's a 50-page, you know, ebook or white paper that's on exactly a topic I care about and I want to go back to, and there's no way I'm going to read it now. I just want to keep it so I don't have to find it, you know, on the internet again. So I'm not going to have any summary of that. So I want something that's more automatic and maybe uh, when we go to, to other stages, it's going to be able to pull keywords, tags, other things out of that automatically for me. And it's just a different approach. So that's why I think the audit thing in a number of ways really will help you. And that's why we led with the notion of we made that head faint toward tools, but really the more you think it through, your your tools choices are gonna start to to fall into place. So so that's that's how I look at it, Tom. So for me, uh, I'm looking at things like automation, simplicity. I can't really do categories, folders, or super heavy front end organization. Well, so that becomes a key part for me. And while I think, and each each approach is right, but I think you have a, a somewhat a different approach. Well, I don't know that I do. Um, I mean, I would prefer this to be as automated as possible. I've tried to look at ways to automate some of this. Have not been as successful as I want to be because I just don't think that some of the automation is there. Well, without a lot of a lot of tinkering, but I think that the main problem is is that the way to capture all the things we want to capture, the how of it is all going to be different. I'd like to be able to capture it all. I, I'd like to set up some good workflows that either automated or not, don't take a lot of time. I see something I like, I'm able to capture it. It's easy, it's simple, it works. And I'm not convinced that that's gonna hold for everything. I, you know, um, it just basic questions. Do I need to convert everything to PDF so it's searchable that, that goes into my second brain? Because there are some things that I can put into my second brain that won't be searchable. So how do I, how do I guarantee that that's going to happen? Putting it all in one format, attractive, but time-consuming. Not simple, um, but it gets you to a place where you need to be. So there's a lot of questions I think we still need to answer. I don't think that there is a perfect solution. I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. Um, but I tell you that this whole process is very interesting to me, and I'm learning a lot about myself and how I like to do things. And, um, and I'm looking forward to the next step, which is identifying some of these tools that will help you with the how, um, which I suppose will be sort of our next step steps that we'll talk about on an upcoming episode. Right. And I would say that for me, what I, uh, I just want to go as big and as broad as possible, knowing that 
that probably at the start I'll need to prioritize what's important. And I'll look at some of the things I'm doing and go like, you know, that, uh, I gotta admit it, Tom is right. What I'm doing here makes no sense. You know, so there there is a better way of doing that. So maybe I can slim down on on the front end. But I, I think we've, you know, it's interesting time because we've we've taken this project which we sort of invented out of thin air and like it's starting to turn into something real for me that I, I think we can do and and uh it's uh teaching me about you know that that whole process and I like the fact that you know, to really dig into it, to look at the endpoint, and then to just hold hold off on the tool selection as long as you can are are the big things. So, I give us a, a thumbs up for our our first few weeks of playing with this. Um, we're not failing. I would agree with that. So uh, let's uh, let's let's keep on keeping on and see what happens. And we'll be back to talk about capture part two in an upcoming episode. But for right now, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online. Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best. So you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servnow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We'd love to get questions from you, our listeners, at our voicemail line at 720-441-6820. We don't have an audience question today, but I've been hearing a lot over the past year, and, and actually over the past few weeks as well, that older lawyers seem to believe that they are way better at computer security than young lawyers. Now, to me, that's a bold statement. I thought it'd be good for Tom and I to kind of bat that topic around. Uh, Tom, you know, to me, the evidence on older lawyers' computer security skills and acumen has been pretty clear for me for for many years. Are, are you a, a buyer or a seller on this claim that they are now making? Well, I, when you say they, it sounds you sound like a politician saying they say this and they say that. And I will welcome your evidence on this the during your rebuttal part of this because frankly, I've not heard that before. I've not heard it in a way that's saying everybody's saying this sort of thing. So I went and did some research. There is an article on law technology today, and it turns out that that one article references a single study by a cybersecurity firm, NTT, where it basically takes all of its information on this article. And while that the results of that survey did indeed find that people, <laughs> and it's hard to say old versus young because they found that people in the 30 to 60 age range exhibit more cybersecurity good practice, I think this is mostly because They've had more time in the workplace to acquire the proper cybersecurity skills. 
it doesn't, I mean, I think what's, what may be surprising is it doesn't matter that the people under 30 are digital natives. They were born to it. They just haven't spent enough time in the workplace to understand all the risks. It's the same that we've said before with young lawyers and legal technology in general. They know how to navigate around a computer, but they don't know how to apply a style in Word. I think the same applies for cybersecurity. What's interesting about this survey, there were three interesting things that I thought were kind of interesting that I'd like to, to bring out. One, first, people under 30 have very different expectations about cybersecurity than people over the age of 30. It's all about productivity and speed. One of the interesting findings from the survey is that 39% of the people under 30 would actually pay a ransom to a cyber criminal so they could get on with their work rather than wait while it's being held hostage to try and get it back for them. 40% of the people would rather pay money just so they could keep working. Second thing that I found interesting, those under 30 who work in the business and professional area services areas tend to adopt the most cybersecurity good practice, scoring above the average for all other sectors, which actually speaks well for young lawyers. Um, but what's, what the other last interesting thing was that more people under 30 than over 30 believe that cybersecurity is solely an IT issue and has no relevance to people in other departments, which is kind of distressing to me because as we've talked before with herd immunity and the fact that cybersecurity should be everybody's business, I guess my answer to your question is yes, older people are better at cybersecurity, but I think that there are some interesting reasons for it that we really haven't considered. Dennis, what is your take? And of course, you know, I'm I'm saying like I look at the history. I just looked at the the latest uh, ABA tech survey results on cybersecurity on cloud applications, and you got to be kidding me! Well, if, but if nobody's you, good you, on that. Convince me after after you know the last thirty years or so of using technology that that lawyers are any good at this. I think this is, you know, a, another. Another place where I see older lawyers saying these digital natives are supposed to be so good, but they don't know how to do these things. I go like they've kind of moved on from from where you are, and they're I think they're a lot better about risk management. They're a lot better about avoiding unsafe places. You know, like the uh, the younger lawyers move out of places that are dangerous, um, while just about the time the older lawyers are moving into it. You know, especially social media, Facebook, some of the, some of those things, and then also think their their approach to to privacy is a bit different. So they're making uh, their own set of risk management choices that, to me, are, are kind of interesting. And, and as you said, they're kind of practical. It's like, okay, so given what we have here, do I do this? I think they're. Uh, they're solid in understanding how to use passwords and two-factor and, and stuff like that, and they they learn this stuff super quickly. That's what I see with with my students when we talk about cybersecurity. So I think it's one of those things where you go, you have when I see an article or articles or somebody saying, you know, these these young digital natives, they really aren't that good at this stuff, you know. Uh, we're a lot better. I'm like, you know, I, I don't see it. So I think it's an interesting, it's an interesting topic. Uh, and and uh, we'll see more of this as just the generational split happens, I suppose. But uh, it's an interesting thing for me to see people who historically have been just terrible at security uh, pointing their fingers at somebody else. 
So now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So two quick tips from me. Uh, the first one is if you have been wanting to be better about your personal productivity but are not sure that, you know, there's a bunch of different methods that are out there for being productive. You're not sure which one is best for you. My favorite task manager, Todoist, um, has a short quiz on productivity methods. You answer a few questions about kind of what your style is, what you prefer, and it will give you the example of the productivity method that it recommends for you to use. Um, I'm not sure I totally agreed with what it recommended for me, but it was an interesting exercise to go through. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. And then finally, you know, something that seems ready-made for me, um, LinkedIn has announced the ability to do voice recordings for your profile where now you can record the pronunciation of your name so that people can get it right. And I thought this is the holy grail. This is all I need so that people will finally know that my name is pronounced Mile and not Miguel. You know, who am I kidding? I mean, it's not going to make a difference, but at least give everybody enough opportunity to pronounce it correctly. And I think it's great that LinkedIn has offered this. Yeah, there's a couple of things I've seen developments along those lines. I think that's, that is is super helpful, um, you know, especially as we, you know, being in a, a global organization as I was, that I mean, just learning how to get somebody's name right is is really a big deal. And uh, anything that can help you is, is great. So I just have one thing. And so as we kind of work our way through the pandemic and have a lot of things shut down, especially uh, court systems, things, unlimited things, people wonder, like, what is it that the courts are doing? You know, like, uh, so how are how are judges making themselves available? How are hearings handled? How are these, these things going on? Is uh, what's going on out there? And so... I'm fortunate to have moved to Michigan because I think the Michigan courts are doing some super cool things. And I've learned that they've done over 45,000 Zoom hearings, for example, that they've had a uh, a really important, I guess is the right word, but a controversial type of, of hearing. I can't remember if it was the Court of Appeals or Supreme Court that got uh, 48,000 views. You know, imagine 48,000 people, lawyers or anybody in a courtroom to, to view arguments. So it's kind of cool what's happening. And uh, they have a lot of stuff very easily available to see, um, including like all of their virtual courts um, in a directory. And you can just find it at the Michigan Courts online page, which is courts.michigan.gov and just kind of explore what's going there and it'll give you an idea of of what uh how people are responding to the current crisis and um what they're pointing to as moving us forward in the future because one of the things they're finding is that to create the uh, the simple ability for people not to take off work and still make a court of parents by zoom is a huge benefit to everybody and so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for this podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, remember you can reach out to us on LinkedIn or remember we love to get questions for our B segment. The number there again is 720 441 6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. 
And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.